0: become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com.
2: Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good
3: morning, P.I.'s Declassified listeners. Grab your coffee. We've got an exciting show for you today. But before we get started with the show, uh, I've been asked to make an announcement about Austin Taylor Bryce, a 22 year old California State University senior who was last seen at a nightclub in Madrid, Spain, five days ago. He left the club to walk home and he hasn't been seen since. He hasn't used his credit cards. He hasn't sent an email and, uh, since Friday actually. His father has traveled over to Spain to work with the police. If you have any information about this young man, no matter how slight it may be, please contact the Madrid-Spain uh, authorities, or you can even send me an email at Francie at and I'll make sure um, it goes to the right place. Now, our Blast in the Past historical m- moment, thanks to Ralph Thomas of P.I. Mall and Ben Harold of P.I. Museum. This is an easy one, guys. Who was the first female investigator? At least all you ladies out there should know this, the answer to this question. Today's guest is a, just such a treat to have on the show. The show is called A Noted PI Recounts the Life of a Heroine, but it's really the PI and the Heroine, two stories side by side. For 32 years, private investigator Melody Ermentild Shavis worked on capital case appeals and trials for the defense. But today she serves as a consultant or a consulting investigator to the UC Berkeley Law School Death Penalty Clinic. Melody's longed work for social change uh, through the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, the Buddhist Alliance for Social Engagement. And in 1997, she wrote her first book, that was called Altars in the Streets, about Melody's own neighborhood's effort to curb violence and her search for the roots of violence. In 2002, though, after studying the history of Afghanistan and reading about a woman named Mina, the founder of Rawa, the Revolutionary Association of the Women of Afghanistan, Melody actually traveled, and this is going to be an amazing story, of how she traveled to Afghanistan to research this remarkable woman, Mina. Melody's research and her travels resulted in writing a book, Mina, the Heroine of Afghanistan, or the alternate title, Mina, the martyred founder of the Revolutionary Association of of the Women of Afghanistan. Melody describes Mina's amazing life and her work, her struggles, her traumas, her tragedies against that backdrop of the ruthless Taliban following the years of the Russian occupation. So I'm so happy to have you on the show, Melody. Good morning.
4: Good morning, Francie. What a nice introduction. Thank you.
3: Oh, you're quite welcome. (laughs) Melody, I know you've been conducting investigations for 35 years. I've known you for about 20. Mm-hmm. How did you even get started as a private investigator? Well,
4: I was a kindergarten teacher before. That should explain a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love teaching, but I, as my own kids got older and I'd been teaching quite a while, I um, wanted to do something different, something more sort of grown up um, besides working with five-year-olds, And but I never imagined how really grown up this would be, you know, working with the death penalty all these years. Um, I met a woman uh, who had her daughter was in my class, and that was a wonderful investigator, Sandra Sutherland, and oh, I wow. thought, oh, I want to be that, you know, and I took night uh, school classes at St. Mary's College in criminal law. Uh, I asked Sandra if I could work for her. After a while and I and I started there with Palladino and Sutherland in San Francisco. I'm an an alum of that uh amazing firm. I worked there three and a half years and then I started I got my license in nineteen eighty three and started my own business my uh with Barry Simon and I trained a lot of people. I'm so proud of uh their work today. You've been to a watch. mentor and that's been one of the most satisfying parts of my career. So it's now 32 years later. And I first
3: met you when you were with Barry Simon, and your office was in Jack London Square in Oakland.
4: That's right. We had a cute little office by the uh, sailboats. We yep. could always hear the rigging and flapping in the wind. It was great there.
3: And so your work um, through the years has been uh, death penalty uh, mitigation and uh, guilt phase investigations, correct?
4: Right. I started as a general... PI, I did every single thing, and, the, you know, civil suits and finding people and all these things. And a theme in my uh, career has always been to help adoptees be reunited with birth parents mm-hmm. and vice versa, and I, I still do that sometimes. Do you? Okay. Uh, well, I'm the birth mother of an adoptee. My son and I met each other again 24 years ago. Uh, we had 24 years apart from each other, and now we've had 24 years together. That's and funny. so I've had a, a great joy in helping ado- with adoptee uh, issues over the years. But my career has been the death penalty. I started my first death penalty case in 1979, the year after California uh, restored the death penalty by popular vote, by ballot initiative, and when a, one of the first cases on uh, death Row was a case I worked on for Jack Palladino and Sondra Sutherland. And then I just became so fascinated with mitigation uh, that I've, I have I have become a mitigation specialist. Can you explain what uh, that, that is, that Melody? phrase didn't even exist when I started. Would you tell our listeners what a mitigation
3: specialist is and what a mitigation specialist does?
4: Yes. Well, in, in a death penalty case, a capital murder trial, there are always murders, there are two sections to the, to the case, to trials, really. The first trial decides whether the person is guilty or not guilty. If they are found guilty, it proceeds to the second trial, which is the sentencing trial, and in that trial, the jurors must weigh the, mitig- the uh, mitigating circumstances against the aggravating circumstances. So mm-hmm. they think about all the reasons the person should be put to death by the government, and and all of the reasons why their life should be spared and they should spend the rest of their life in prison without possibility of parole. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two options, life without parole or death. And at that point, we put on the, the defense team, the team I'm on, lawyers and uh, me as the investigator, and then we have sometimes a psychologist uh, or other experts, and we put on the mitigating circumstances to the, we present it to the jurors and hope that they will spare a client's life.
3: And a juror that sits on a uh, capital case, both the guilt and the death and the uh, penalty phase, must believe in, in executing by the stake. Is that correct?
4: That's right. All, everybody comes in uh, from the jury panel, and everyone who is uh, opposed to the to the death penalty and would not be able to impose it says that and gets up and leaves. And we just sort of... Sadly watch them all depart and then we're left with a pool of people who all either voted for it, for the law, uh, restoring capital punishment or strongly believe in it for their own religious reasons or whatever and studies have shown of course that group is much more likely to, uh, convict our client also to, to weigh things sort of in favor of the prosecution. There, there have been attempts to ask for two juries, one to decide Culpability, and then a second group um, of ordinary people who would who would decide, or, or no, a second group which is what we call death qualified. In other words, they are willing to impose it mm-hmm. that would decide the sentence, but those have all failed in the courts. So we, yeah, I think that the prosecution kind of has a leg up from the start in all of the capital trials. Okay. And now you have joined forces
3: with um UC Berkeley Law School and you're a consultant for them?
4: Yeah, I was working on staff there as their staff investigator at the death penalty clinic for three years, a little more, and now I'm no longer on staff, I but I still work with the students and in fact I'm going on a trip with one of the students soon. Uh they accompany me into the field and they are third year law students. They're so, so smart and terrific and I I love working With them, and they take real cases, actual cases from death rows, uh, both in California and Alabama. And this is like the uh, the Innocence Project, correct? A little bit. It's uh, well, its mission is education of the students, so that's a little different. Although the Innocence Project also has students, I guess, and yeah, it's it's one of the many projects. not so many, but there's one at University of Chicago too, where the students do such a good job they, they kind of put us to shame. <laughs> They're really great, and they, they help
3: exciting uh, way yes to teach people though right. That's that's wonderful, and um, then how did you get in- interested in Mina
4: and the Rawa uh, effort? Well, in t- September 11th, you know, I just like everyone else was so shocked by what happened. Um, my literary agent, you know, I have this other career as a writer, and, and she is in New York. <clears throat> her office filled up with smoke, and she just was uh, traumatized. And we both went online and we discovered Rawa, the Revolutionary Association of Women of Afghanistan. And both of us thought, oh, the, her, their founder, Nina, this young woman who was assassinated, um with such an amazing woman we just thought let's read a book about her and we were amazed there was no book and my agent Ann Rittenberg said you know you could write that book and I just I got that email and I thought yeah I actually I could because I am a PI and I could go to Afghanistan I thought and research you know just do what I do interview everyone who had known her and and put together her life story that's what I do for my death row clients exactly that and um you know in those days everyone was trying to think of what we could do my I, my main idea and a lot of people i know was that we should help afghans especially afghan women
0: mm-hmm.
4: and um i contacted rawa i was so amazed that they i met with a rawa member who was traveling in the united states then and she Said um, yes. We we want this book. We've always wanted a book about Mina. There are no publishing presses in Afghanistan. Mm. Um, most people cannot read. Also, and it has to come from the West somewhere. <clears throat> they read my first book and they said yes, yes. We want you to do it. And by uh, the end of February, I was over there, 2002. It all happened so quickly. And and my agent sold the book to St Martin's Press, a very good publisher. And now it's been translated into um, quite a few languages around the world. And I'm proud to say, oh, this is so important. I have given all of the money from the book to Rawa, to their yes. hospital. Yes. So I, it was a, uh, my gift to them. It enabled me to give more money than I ever could have given, you know, just myself. So it's been, for me, a, a great project. It's that's with a lot of satisfaction.
3: A, that's such a great example of how one person can make a difference. Just a,
4: it really is an amazing effort, Melody. Um, well, I wish, though, that Afghanistan were, was having a happier ending. It's absolutely not. As we know, things are, are really bad there.
3: For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, at least you got the word out, and that's the most important uh, part of your effort. So so were you funded um, by the publisher? to go to Afghanistan or did you do that? On no,
4: train? I raised money uh, to go. And my friend, I made a friend right then uh, at a Rawa meeting uh, to, in, in San Francisco. This young woman from Rawa was there and she um, there was a luncheon given for her and I sat next to this beautiful Afghan young woman and met her. then she said, oh, you can't go alone. I, I'll go with you. I, I was mm. like, really? Wow. Oh my God, that's wonderful. And so she was the translator and so important to the book, and we are still best of friends today. And how long was it, how long did it take from the time you
3: and the publisher talked about you going and you meeting this woman to you actually landed in Afghanistan?
4: Well, from September 11th to the end of February. Is, what is that, six months or something? It was really quick. I wrote a pro- proposal. You know, I had to do that really quickly, just the outlines of Mina's life. Um, yeah, it, it just was an urgent thing and my partners and my job helped by uh, taking up the slack in my work and um, all of my friends donated money for our plane tickets and um, Buddhist Peace Fellowship uh, helps with fundraising. It just you know, it was one of those things Americans are very, very generous and responsive, as we know, to people around the world sometimes, often. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, stay tuned for Melody um,
3: so she can tell you more about her journey to research the story of Mina.
2: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified.
0: If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard, every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
2: Ask the experts. Call toll free right now 1 866 472 5787. And ask our All Star team to answer your questions. That's 1 866
1: 472
2: 5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
3: Melody Ermitraus Davis, private investigator and author, is talking about her travels to research her book, Mina. Melody, you were talking about uh, raising money and your friends donating money and the Buddhist Fellowship, having fundraisers, and somehow this all came together and you ended up on a plane.
4: Right. Uh, we went to Islamabad. At that time, uh, all international airlines had ceased flights to Pakistan, except Pakistani International Airlines itself. So we went on a Pakistani uh, jet from England. Um, and immediately the Rawa women, these wonderful, most of them are young and so energetic, so amazing. They met us there. We never had a problem on this trip where we felt like... Um, you know, we didn't know where to go or what to do. They protected us every second of the day and night, and uh, we were at a, uh, we we lied all the time about where we were staying, though. When we went there, Daniel Pearl had already been killed. He had just, not that long before. And actually, when that happened, um, this is a reporter who was seized in um, Karachi and, and beheaded and all of that. And right. so we thought, and our family thought, oh, wait, you know, maybe we shouldn't go. And then we heard his wife, Marianne Pearl, say that Daniel's life had meant, uh, toler- tolerance and understanding between peoples, and everyone should promote that in his name, and we thought, alright, we'll go. And because we are trying to make connections between Americans and Afghans that are positive, we'll just go, and, and we were protected. We didn't say, though, where we, we wrote, you know, we were in one hotel, and really, we were in this little tiny guest, guest house sort of place, mm-hmm. uh, where we had a man with a gun outside of our door all the time. And, um, and how did they? How, how did that come about? Who was the, both the Rawa people and the guest house owner arranged it? I don't really know, but there were that guy was there day and night, and then we made had to make our way. We did a lot of interviews in Rawa Pendy. Uh, where there is an enormous Afghan refugee camp, and we saw the Rawa orphanages and hospital and interviewed everybody there who had known Mina. Uh, and there were lots of people, We her school comrades, her um, pe- her teacher, uh, and other Rawa members who had helped to found it with her and carried on all these many years. It was founded in 19... 77 and when she was only 20 years old she would mm. have been the same age as osama bin laden they were both born i think in 1957 and then and so now she would really be in the prime of her life had she lived and uh she was assassinated after in 1987, mm-hmm. only 10 years later by um agents of the then afghan government who were allied with the Soviets, and um, also right-wing fundamentalists. You know how it's very complicated in Afghanistan. And the man who ordered her assassination is Gulbadin Hekmatyar, who still today has changed sides again and is a warlord fighting against the American forces there, the NATO forces. So this just goes on and on. Anyway, we then needed to go to Kabul, and only one little airplane was going. We got on that. Um with great big wads of cash to pay. We had to pay with cash. And we also had to arrange cash. an exit right. visa out of Pakistan and a re-entry visa back into Pakistan. And for that, we did have to pay a bribe. And that, so that was really interesting for us as as Americans and uh, are you, are you friends in Afghanistan.
3: Melody, are you we'll, talking about American cash? It. Pardon me? Are you talking about American cash?
4: Um Yes, they wanted dollars.
3: They wanted dollars,
4: right? Which we didn't have. We didn't really have. We had these sort of traveler's checks, and and uh, that was a huge adventure trying to um, get somebody to go out and basically buy dollar bills on the um, American currency on the black market there. And that all happened. It was really amazing for us. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, we're tripping all, tripping all around together, wearing these kind of tableclothy chadors, which I kept dropping mine all the time. And my friend would would do all the talking. She um, spoke Dari and Pashto and Farsi and all the languages, and Urdu important. That's the language of Pakistan. Uh-huh. Her Urdu apparently made everybody laugh, <clears throat> but she could be understood. And <clears throat> I didn't open my mouth because I didn't. We didn't want people to know I was an American.
0: <clears throat>
4: Luckily, I'm petite and dark haired, and I, with my shador on, I. Could just kind of you could walk pass. along with her. Yeah, you could pass. So, yeah. Um,
3: then, then how did how did you? I mean, did you ask people if you could interview them, or how did that happen?
4: No, that was all provided for us by Rawa. We'd, we we they would say, well, her teacher lives in this refugee camp in Peshawar, and so we will. You need to get a driver, and 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 they provided a guide also. We did go. In a refugee camp in Peshawar, and that was very dangerous. Uh, we just sort of huddled in the back seat of a uh, kind of a taxi, a little old broken down Corolla, which is what they all have there, and uh, went way, way out in the countryside. And they would say, Well, over there is the Al Qaeda camp, and over there is the other right wing camp, and these warlords. And we just kind of threaded our way through. At one point, the taxi driver said, I'm not going to go anymore and um then the rava woman with us said no it'll be all right we have our own guards just ahead we'll start our area where we have our own men and we can go through so we you know we we relied on them and actually you know nothing bad happened to us whatsoever and melody you weren't afraid we were afraid we were absolutely terrified a lot of the time and then we you know you just kind of think well Forge ahead, you know, and you know that as a PI, you kind of think, well, this this could be a dangerous situation in this housing project or whatever, or right. to get into this elevator in this horrible place or something. But you think, well, likely, you know, I'll be all right and and go ahead with what you need to do. I'm I'm a person I've always been both brave and terrified, it's kind uh-huh. of a combination. And so then in in Kabul we landed, and we again we were. We were um, met now that was tough. We needed to make contact with a Rawa woman, which did not happen at the airport, did not happen at the only hotel Westerners could then stay in. This was a hotel without electricity or, or running water, and it had mortar shell holes in the walls. Mm. it 's now you know probably all rebuilt. It is rebuilt. but um, then literally, the um, Taliban had just ran off. You know, weeks before, and then we came in. And the, the Americans were bombing and fighting the uh, Taliban just sort of over a few hills, maybe 30 miles away at that time. And Did the hotel like staff that? was so amazed to suddenly see women all over the place. It was the first ever Women's Day there. Um, and we went to the Women's Day celebration. Hamid Karzai was there, and Mary Robinson, the um, High Commissioner for, for Refugees at that time and for the United Nations. And we—it was held in a bombed theater with no roof. They put a kind of a wedding tent over the over the roof of it. Hmm. Um, And it was all with guards, 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 every place. The NATO forces were there, the International Security Assistance Force, and so we had soldiers from England, from Thailand, different different countries, all surrounding Women's Day. So that was the best Women's Day ever that I participated in sorry were you taking photographs yeah I have a, we had a slideshow that we gave when we came back um, that was you re- know people really loved it um, so what else did we do oh we were I was on the story of how we found the Rawa woman we had to we lost contact completely nobody was answering a, a number we were supposed to call so we had to go out into the street and buy a satellite phone call from a young guy um and a, a 12-year-old boy escorted us. You have to have a man with you at that time. You couldn't, we could not go anywhere. So um someone we were staying with said, well, the only man who's here is my 12-year-old son, but he'll, he will take you. Hmm. And he will say you're his aunts, his, his aunties. So it could be with him. And that's
3: also the amazing part about the story of Mina, because didn't they also at that
4: time have to have a man with them? And, yes, and they were sneaking always. around. From house to house. They call them, their, in English, they're male supporters. And, uh-huh. of course, we had lots of male supporters, um both in this country and over there, who were absolutely helping us with this whole MENA project. Um, so we did. We did. We got a new phone number from Pakistan, and we called. And then the next day, here came a Rawa woman in uh, her burqa, wearing the burqa, both uh-huh. coming in and out of the hotel. And we just stayed in our hotel room with her and did this long, 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 long interview. Um, like 12 hours because she had founded Rawa with Mina and had always been with her. Um, what an amazing coup to get that interview! Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Um, and, and she is one of the bravest women I've ever met. So, so amazing. And how old is she now? About? She would have been also Mina's age in her 50s now. These uh-huh. women are. The leadership, I suppose you'd say, are kind of in their 40s and 50s, but they have. I mean, we met all kinds of women who are 18 and running the clinic and being nurses, being the giving out drugs, and they they, they go everywhere. They are just amazing.
3: And are the always women, with the burka. Are they still in danger?
4: Absolutely, uh-huh. they are are threatened constantly. They have to move around. They they can only have their computers in Pakistan, and they have to move them from place to place. Uh, you can go to their amazing website, rawa.org, R-A-W-A.org, and read about their work. Um, they have never stopped working, and they've never left Afghanistan from 1977. So they're, they're very, very experienced.
3: And um, just uh, a wonderful, just a wonderful story. Um, Melody, we need to take a break. We'll be right back to talk more about Melody and Afghanistan's heroine and the founder of the women's movement.
2: NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified.
1: IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call one 800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best Step into the doorway to conscious choice greater health and well-being Attain the balance that you've been seeking Tune in and turn on 1111 Top Radio Feed the Mind Embrace Positively release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. Eleven Eleven Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Seventh Wave Network. Eleven Eleven Talk Radio, because shift happens.
2: News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Taylor. Can
3: you imagine traveling to Afghanistan in 2002 right after 9-11? Private investigator Melody Erminchild-Shavis did and used her uh Expertise and investigative skills to uncover this wonderful story about Mina. Go ahead, uh, Melody. Talk about, uh, you were talking about your accommodations and your travels in Afghanistan.
4: Well, getting home was the hard part. Um, we had only one option uh, to fly from Kabul back to Islamabad, and that was um, a little airline that had only one plane, and their office was another room in the same hotel. Um, and they said, well, you know, uh $1,400 cash, it's like it's a, an hour, less than an hour flight. And their little tiny plane was going was its last flight before it would go back to Europe to be serviced. And we thought, mm, no, don't think so. So we decided to uh, ask our friends there to find a car. And, and really the only option was to drive out over the roads. Um, which is over the Khyber Pass, and the road was almost non-existent then. I think it's been fixed now, of course, but it was completely muddy and rutted and hardly there, and it's a very precipitous um, descent down from the mountains in Kabul Mm -hmm. and all the way down, 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 and then over the Khyber Pass. One of the great things about doing it, though, is that we saw the stunning beauty of Afghanistan. It has so many different climate zones. Part of it looks like Japan with sort of jade green terraced rice paddies, and then Mm. there's the desert with the camels and the nomadic people, and their tents. It was so gorgeous. And you just keep thinking, if only peace could come, it would be a tourist site of, you know, unparalleled in the whole world, and we can all go there. But the war, I, I would never have believed the war would still be happening now, and uh, things are are not good there at all, but um we took this trip, and two men were with us. Uh, and
3: what, what was the distance of that trip
4: no i don't take? know it's just hundreds it took It took then ten hours. I think with a road, it only takes four hours or something. but two little women in the back, and <clears throat> the most frightening part was when we finally said, You know, we absolutely have to stop we've got to pee, you know, and then they said, well, no. They sort of said, no, it's too dangerous, and we said, but the thing is, we have to. Uh-huh. And so they finally found a place to pull over, and they said, all right, go here's, here we see where a goat has walked recently in the mud, little footsteps of a goat, and they said you can only put your feet where the goat's feet were because this entire road is mined. And, uh, oh, those were the most exciting steps I ever took. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, nothing happened, and, uh, then we, we didn't ask that again, you know, but, um when we got to the Khyber Pass, we had to just say goodbye to these men who had pre- escorted us, protected us, and we stripped off all of our winter clothes. We were, we had been freezing up in Kabul, and we had brought down coats, those kind of New York coats, Um And we gave all of our winter stuff to these men to bring back to the women. And then we walked through the gates. There were these giant sort of medieval iron gates. We reported in to the Pakistani authorities and they said, okay, wait, we have to wait for a gunman to, you know, a soldier to arrive to escort you back. And we went with this enormous soldier with a huge gun, you know, like a machine gun Uh with the, and we hired a a cab there at the border of a, a driver and he took us all the way to the hotel in Islamabad, um, where then the other gunman, you know, was waiting for us. So we, yeah, we were always protected from possible kidnaps. And I, I was wearing the notes. I put the notes, you know, kind of against my stomach and, and carried them all the way home that way. Um, for some reason, I was the most afraid in Quetta. Our, our plane, we waited days and days and days for the plane to take off and for us to have our seats confirmed, and again, we had to pay bribes to get the confirmed seats. And the plane stopped at Quetta, and they said, we're delayed here, and hours went by. We just sat in this sweltering hot plane, and I had a, a real panic attack. I sort of thought, someone's going to come onto this plane and t- drag us off of it or something. Mm-hmm. It was a, just a fantasy, I think, from being so exhausted,
3: and then sure. finally it...
4: It just left, and we were in New York.
3: doesn't sound like an unreasonable fear, though, actually.
4: <laughs> well, Quetta is where you, you don't want to be. Now, I, that was the interview I didn't get. I wanted to go and interview the men who, there were me, two men arrested uh, several years after Mina was assassinated and for her murder. And they were in a prison in Quetta. And I asked, uh, lawyers there, can I, can you take me there? I wanted to ask them, you know how you and I do this. We go in prisons and ask about crimes and ask people who are witnesses or perpetrators all the time. And I thought, I can do that. I want to say, what do you have to say about murdering Nina? What, who are you and what is your story and all of that? And, and everyone just said, no, that's the one thing we can't help you with. That is impossible to do. It would take, you would have to stay here for a year and, who knows how many bribes or whatever, you know, to get it organized. And uh after the Americans were in full control of Afghanistan, they it looked like they or arranged for the Pakistan government to execute them both and they were executed. And Rawa had not wanted that. They wanted also to ask them many questions. Mm-hmm. They wanted to know where her body was. They wanted to know um what her last words were, all kinds of things. Uh and as it happened, they did find her body. Um one oh, of the information came out and there is now a, a grave for her which her children arranged and a tombstone and, and everything. Um, and the children are very, very happy to have the book so that and their the mother or where are they? Uh, they I don't know. The the children are protected. Oh they are. They okay. yeah. They may live in Europe or the United States or Pakistan or go back and forth or, I don't know. But I I've been in touch, um through their relatives and, and you know, they they love the book and thank me. So that's been also I mean, to be thanked for it is it's just been so nice and all the people who were so always are so kind to me. Uh, We also were able to collect every known photograph, we think, of of Mina and put put them into the book. I found photos, I had a a research assistant in France, a friend of a friend uh, who went to to all kinds of libraries and newspaper archives because Mina traveled to Europe to give some big speeches and interviews. She was on television Mm -hmm. and we found a TV clip of her from Holland, Mm -hmm. uh, or no, from Belgium. So I got every photo. And, and with digital technology, you know, they all were just put into the book. And so everything is preserved. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy for that. Melody, how did you get people to trust you that you
3: would use the, uh, information you were getting for good?
4: You know, that amazed me from day one and still amazes me today. They just met me and looked at me and they had my book and they thought, she a good woman. The... I mean, the tr- the level of trust astonished me. They had the book, Alters in the Streets? Yeah. They had that but, one, okay. You know, I, and also, this is the authorized biography, I should say. They read each chapter uh-huh. I, by email. This was all a, a miracle of email. And they made sure that it was accurate. Um, I wanted it to be absolutely accurate, and we fixed everything, any anything I had gotten wrong in my notes. And then I also... Um, it, to read this book is a way to learn the whole history of Af- Afghanistan. You know, I read a, a shelf load of books writing it. Um, I wish someone would give me a master's degree or something. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, because I really, really did a lot of research. And, and um, that also needed to be accurate. And it was vetted by people who really know that history, read, it, read the manuscript for me. Uh, and an anthropologist read it for me for accuracy about the tribes and the culture um, I took a lot of care to try to make it right, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's and
4: it's re- it's a really quick read. Uh, St. Martin's Press asked me to write it also for, as a young adult book, so you just zoom through. And kids as young as twelve have used it for their uh, book report or their re- you know their paper and and emailed me about it, and, and that's been also really fun. Oh. Uh, a woman in. Ireland did use it extensively for her thesis on Afghan women. I don't know. It just kind of goes on and on and on. And yeah. It's a lot of fun. What was given away is for free in the Bombay area by a man who funded the Marathi translation, or, or he, he funded the publication of, of the translation, translation into the Marathi language, and it's given to schoolgirls there, and it's also given away in Sri Lanka, through a women's organization there who translated it into Sin Ali's.
3: Hmm. Amazing. Just uh, just absolutely amazing. What would you say was,
4: through the whole trip,
3: what was your biggest obstacle?
4: Well, it had the, uh, I'm not going to say that because it, it had this magical feeling, and I think this is true of everybody's life. I, I, this is something I believe, that if you are determined to do something, you think to yourself, I am going to do that
0: mm-hmm.
4: and promise yourself and then you just be open to whatever comes your way that's saying yes and walk in that direction. And it, for this whole project, everything that was, nobody said no, everything was yes, 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 and I just kept walking like that. And I, and I find that in my work also. It's, you know, you think, well, at the beginning, how in the heck am I going to defend this person? Mm-hmm. This is hopeless. And, or, how would I ever interview that person? They are definitely just saying, No, I will never, that's an interview I'll never get. But don't give up, just right. keep going. You've done all this. You know, I've sent flowers to people that had tried to, you know, had already thrown me out and stuff. I, I just do whatever I can possibly think of to accomplish my goals. And I, I'm, I have all this determination. That's a great so. example. More to come from
3: Melody ermichild Chavez and the answer to the blast from the past historical question. Stay
2: tuned. News. 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 Opinion. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified.
1: deal with celebrities and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: Stay at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile. Radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk.
2: Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PIsDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. It's
3: time for the blast, the answer to our blast in the past moment. And the question was, who was the first female private investigator? Well, it was Kate Warney. She died in 1868, only 35 years old, from pneumonia. She was considered to have been the world's first female private investigator, having been hired by Ellen Pinkerton when she responded to an ad for Detectives. And she was 23 years old and an assertive woman, and he hired her actually, according to historical reports, at 10 a.m., August 23rd, 1856. That actually is my daughter's birthday. Not 1856, but August 23rd. Um, Pinkerton named Kate Warney as one of the top five detectives that he had. He mentioned both Timothy Webster and Kate Warney in his memories, in his memoirs, rather. Um, She held the title of female superintendent of detectives for many years, and she trained and uh, led a number of females. And if you want to hear... More or read more about Kate Warney, go to www.pimall.com and click on Museum along the left hand column on the listings. Um, And then you will enter Ralph Thomas's amazing lifelong collection of PI related artifacts and uh, this colorful history of PIs. Honoring Kate is fitting as March, actually, is Women's History Month, celebrating women's contributions in history, culture, and society. It's been observed every year in March since 1987 after it's beginning from a small-town school in California, actually. So, um, Melody, I've really enjoyed talking with you today, and I know that uh, you want to switch gears just for a moment and talk about something that's near and dear to your heart, which is um, the case uh, of Jarvis Masters.
4: Yes, you know, I've had this long career, and I've there are 35 different... Um, Men on death row and three women whose cases I've worked on, um, and on lots more who aren't on death row whose cases I worked on. But uh, the greatest case of my career is the case of Jarvis Masters. Uh, he is innocent. He is living on death row, and he just recently had a hearing, an evidentiary hearing. And people can find out about the case by going to freejarvis.org. That's F R E E. J A R V I S dot org. I've worked on his case from 1987 to now, and I am so loyal to him. I will never, never give up. And he's a wonderful person. He's written two books, and they're both fantastic. Uh, so you can see the books and other essays he's written on freejarvis dot org. And didn't you write the foreword to his book? Still? I did write the foreword to Finding Freedom, his book, which is about his Buddhist practice on death row and about prison life and that book has been read by thousands of youth uh, in juvenile halls all over America it's used extensively uh, as a teaching tool in mm. high schools um, Oh, people, it, it's a great book and I'm so proud I wrote that forward
3: oh that's great that's wonderful and then uh, we also wanted to mention where people could um, get your book, Mina or Alters of the Streets for that matter if people are interested in that uh, can be obtained from Amazon.com, correct?
4: Right, and you know there's another website everyone should know about for used books. It's called AmericanBooksellersExchange.com. That's A B E, just like Abe Lincoln. A B E.com, and there you find lots of copies of um, authors' books, which are a little bit used or people who have them somewhere. You see, it's a, it's all the little small bookstores, private right. bookstores. You know, not not the chain. So. You can also find both my book and Jarvis's book on there.
3: Wonderful, because I'm, I'm
4: sure people are going
3: to want to read. Oh, thank uh, both you. Of them. Yeah,
4: the foreword, by the way, of my book of Mina's book—I always call it Mina's book. It's not my book; it's her book. Okay. And it was um, was written by Alice Walker, the wonderful uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning author here, and she was so kind to do it. Um, and it was also given a an endorsement by. Nawal El Saadawi, who's a famous Egyptian freedom fighter, and was imprisoned by um, um, the dictator there, whose name I've forgotten right now. Uh-huh. And what? Go yeah. ahead. Anyway, she she's in America, and and then she went back to be in Tahrir Square uh, for the freedom now for for Egyptian people. So that's that's sort of wonderful that I I met with uh, Nawal and and she endorsed Nina, um, it's a, it, you know, there is a whole world out there of Muslim women fighting for freedom, not just right. Nina, but a right. lot, of thousands and millions of them.
3: And I think you're talking about the Egyptian di- dictator, Marwaui? Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about w- the di- the
4: Egyptian dictator that just lost his job. Right, <laughs>
3: just lost his job. Right. Great way of putting it.
4: Right, so this has been a wonderful Women's Day um celebration you and I have had here. Absolutely. So if you were to say the one thing that was most rewarding in this effort, what would it be? I w- m- meeting the Afghan women, meeting the women I, um, who helped me there, and I just feel so much love for them, and I'm awe-stricken by how determined they are and how they never give up you know and whenever we feel discouraged we should just think of them because why should we give up on anything the environment or democracy or anything if they keep going with their conditions mm-hmm. so they are they are the inspi they are my inspiration
3: it's a, that's a, you're right it's a great example and we have no obstacles here when, when you compare them to the obstacles they must encounter every
4: single day mm-hmm. yeah that's that's true. Wonderful. We should we'll all do a little bit more of the, what we can do, whatever and, we can do. And
3: you mentioned the sales of Mina's book, uh, as, you, as you said, benefit Rawa's medical and educational work for women and children. Right. And uh, we were talking about a little bit that, um, you know, proceeds on books don't really amount to much, but uh, the money that's been raised um, from Mina's book ha- does... A great deal in Afghanistan.
4: It really goes a long way in these refugee camps. Yeah, authors' proceeds are not very much. You know, that's the only part I can uh, donate. But I saw their hospital where they the only two medications they had were antibiotics and pain medicine, and they were giving that away free. You know, because refugees these refugees had no no nothing. Um, and that's yeah. So a dollar, a dollar can buy something like that
3: right, over so we're there. We're out of time, Melody, and I'm um, saddened to say that. But uh, let me just close here. Today's featured sponsor is Merlin Information Services, information provider to legal professionals. Their contact information can be found at picclassified.com. Thanks to Ralph Thomas and Ben Harold, PI Mall and PI Museum, for Kate Warner's information. Warney's information. Next week, my guest will be private investigator and polygraph examiner Jack Tremarco. That's it for today. Tune in as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening.